We're in Romans 15, verses 1 to 6. Follow along as I read. Now we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not to please ourselves. Each one of us must please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For even the Messiah did not please himself. On the contrary, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction, so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures. Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement allow you to live in harmony with one another according to the command of Christ Jesus, so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with a united mind and voice. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your love, for your care, uh, for the fact that you have made us a family. Uh, You being our father that adopted us, uh, the rest of us being brothers and sisters. And like any family, sometimes brothers and sisters can get on each other's nerves, but you still call us to be uh, in unity with you and with one another. So as we look at this subject, I pray, Lord, that you would continue to guide and direct us in our understanding and in the practice of this truth. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Okay, so this is uh, section 52, Strong and Weak Believers in Unity, Part 3, Please One Another as Christ Did. God's Design for Unity. Uh, I remember reading through John 17, which we'll have an opportunity to do a little bit later, and seeing a few things that Jesus says, and it's kind of like, oh, he's kind of serious about this whole thing. Because he talks about us being one like he and the Father are one. They're in constant communion, fellowship. There's no argument. There's no disagreement on anything. Uh, They work together. Um, When they work together, they both get the credit uh, you know, who raised Jesus from the dead? Well, it says that uh, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, Romans chapter 8, uh, so there the spirit is given credit. Jesus said, tear down this temple and in three days I will raise it up again. So Jesus is taking credit. And Romans ten nine, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. There God is given credit. So you can see the unity there in the sense that who raised him from the dead? And the answer is yes. (laughs) Okay. And so when God talks about unity, uh, he's pretty serious about it. Uh, Let's look at a couple Old Testament verses and then some New Testament. Uh, In the Old Testament, we have David's teaching in Psalm 133, verse 1. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Uh, if you want the opposite example of that, watch C-SPAN. Okay, that, that, that's good enough. We don't have to go any further. Um, as far as the prophets teaching in Jeremiah 32, 38 to 39, they shall be my people and I will be their God. Then I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and their children after them. 
Ezekiel 36, 16, and 17. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, and they defiled it by their own ways and deeds, to me their way was like uh, the uncleanness of a woman in her customary impurity. Just in case you didn't catch that, it's that uh, Moody Monthly Magazine subscription uh, that he's talking about there. Uh, don't know how else to explain it without getting in detail. So uh, when they're not in unity, when they're living their own way, that's what it's like as far as God's concerned. Ew. Hosea one eleven. Then the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and appoint for themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. And then Zephaniah 3.9, For then I will restore the people's uh, a pure language, that they, may, uh, they, they, may, they all may call on the name of the Lord to serve him with one accord. If you think about Israel's history, there came a point where the north and the south, they separated. Uh, there wasn't necessarily a civil war, though there were many battles between the two over the years. But God is saying that someday I'm going to get all these guys back together and they're going to be one, not two uh, separate nations. So th- there's your uh, David's teaching and the prophet's teaching in the New Testament when we come to the Gospels, John chapter 10, verse 16. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring and they will hear my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. So here he is talking to Jewish people even before the church is established, and he's basically saying, there's other guys out there, we're going to bring them into the fold, one shepherd, one flock. As far as the epistles go, well, you have Acts chapter 2, where all of a sudden they're speaking in the languages of all these Jewish people that are from other areas in the world, and they're hearing the wonders of God in their own language. And so as they are, 3,000 come into the fold on that day. And yeah, some of them are Roman Jews. Some of them are uh, Egyptian Jews, that, that kind of thing. Cappadocian Jews, etc. So Acts chapter 2 is an example of that. 1 Corinthians 1.10. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Uh, same book, chapter 12, verses 12 through 13. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body. So also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. And there's a list of other verses there that you can look at where, obviously, uh, the epistles taught the same concept that we as brethren are to be in unity. Now, does that mean that we all have to look alike? Does that mean uh, when it comes to the disputable items, we all have to come to the same opinion? No, but we are going to treat each other with the same love. Uh, We have a church across the street, some good brothers and sisters over there. Uh, They have a a couple of different opinions when it comes to certain things that are non-essential. And so, one of those sisters over there works here at the school. Is that a problem? No, because we're not talking about teaching uh, those disputable things over there to kids over here. We're talking about administrating the office. 
okay? Uh, but we're, because we're one body. Born again, born again. Uh, believe in Jesus, believe in Jesus, that, that kind of thing. And so unity is definitely taught throughout the Old and the New Testament uh, as far as something that is important to God and therefore should be important to us. So when we come to chapters 14 and 15 here, we're seeing uh, topics that God hasn't said yay or nay. People come to different opinions. How are we going to handle one another? Uh, we're not to be judging one another. We're supposed to be receiving one another. We're supposed to make sure that we're not uh, walking uh, in a way that would cause a brother to stumble, therefore loving that brother, uh, helping them come along, etc. And so when we get into chapter 15, we're dealing with the same subject. Notice letter B, bearing with the scruples of the weak in the first part of uh, verse 1. Uh, in verses 1 through 12 of chapter 14, we're talking about receiving one another with understanding. In chapters thir- uh, 14, verses 13 to 23, building up one another without offending. And then notice in uh, number 3, the responsibility of we who are strong. Now, I don't know about you, but throughout my life, I have never appreciated when I've been responsible for someone else's problem. Um, but it, it's interesting. Your parents put you in that position, maybe as an older sibling, where you have to be watching out for the younger brother, the younger sister, and if they do something wrong, you get in trouble. And it, you know, we just—it's not fair. And yet, God does exactly the same thing. Is God fair? No, because if he was, we'd all be going to hell. <laughs> okay, so uh, you can't use that excuse. Uh, notice it says, uh, letter A. Uh, In verse 1a, it says, Now we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those that are without strength. The word for obligation there is ophelial. Um, To owe, to be under obligation, ought, must, should, uh, morally, to fail in duty, behoove, be bound, debt, debtor, etc. In Hebrews 5.3, this word is used. It refers to the high priest his obligation to offer sacrifices for sins for the people and for his own self. He's obligated to do that. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, 3, 16, and 4, 11, it refers to a believer's obligation to walk like Christ. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I received a, um, I was tagged in a video on Facebook where, Andy Stanley was dealing with the issue of homosexuality and how homosexuals had more faith than most of us because they've had to put up with how the church has treated them. And apparently he actually even deals with Romans chapter 1, but you know he must go off the deep end there uh, as far as what he's teaching because he is considered by many of uh, the people that we would line, align ourselves with as a false teacher these days. Now, I don't know about you, but when you think of Charles Stanley— probably not thinking false teacher. Andy Stanley, I'm sure a lot of the things he says probably sound very similar to what we say, but he's opened that door for the woke crowd. And um, the reality is, is if, uh, if a pair of homosexuals or lesbians were to come to Edgemont Bible Church, how should we teach them, uh, treat them? With respect and love like we should anybody else. Now, should we let them become members? Well, first of all, in order to be a member, you probably ought to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, should your life change? Oh, yeah. 
Okay, notice these three verses right here. You're obli- anybody who claims to know him is obligated to walk as he walked. And therefore, you're going to show love to those people, but it's sin, and they cannot continue to live in that sin if they come to know him. 1 John 3, 9, anyone who uh, knows him doesn't continue to walk in sin as a way of life, doesn't practice it. Why? He can't. God's seed is in him. Now, that doesn't mean they're not going to have their struggles, and it doesn't mean that they won't have their struggles for a while after salvation, but ultimately, uh, the Spirit of God is going to win that battle. Okay? So, uh, that's what it says there in the First John passage. Uh, the, the next word that we're looking at, looking at is bastadzu, uh, to lift, to endure, to declare, sustain, receive, to bear, to carry, to take up. It is used of a pitcher of water in Mark fourteen thirteen. It's used of a man. The men were being carried, or the man was being carried by uh, some others in Acts chapter twenty one verse uh, thirty five. And it's also used in Acts chapter fifteen verse ten, talking about circumcision as a yoke of obligation. And and again at in the middle of the chapter, they pretty well said, yeah, we don't want to be putting that yoke of obligation on the uh, Gentiles. It was difficult enough for us, that kind of thing. So the strong are obligated to uh, endure or put up with the scruples of the weak. Notice it's not just to tolerate the scruples of the weak. It is to help them carry that load which means you're not flaunting your, your liberty. Uh, you're not uh, saying, look, you just need to grow up. And, and okay, <laughs> there's a part of me that wants to say, y'all just need to grow up, get over it, that kind of thing. But that's not what it's saying here. It's saying we're going to uh, carry them, tolerate them. And notice, we're not going to do it by being critical or condescending, but by showing respect for their views with which we disagree. In Philippians chapter 2, let me see if I can find it here because I had so many verses. <laughs> uh, okay, it's Philippians 2, 3, and 4. There it is. Uh, Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. And I'm not sure that I have verse 3 there, but right now I'm not seeing it elsewhere, so shame on me. Alrighty, so we move right along here. Uh, number three, we are not doing this for the sake of pleasing men, but to win them. In Galatians 1.10 it says, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Now, this is right after where Paul, first of all, is marveling that the, Gent- uh, the Galatians are so quick to turn away from the gospel to another gospel of a different kind. And that was where the Judaizers had come in afterwards and said, you know, it's great that you're trusting in Jesus, but now you need to get circumcised. It wouldn't be much different than saying, you know, it's great that you trusted in Jesus, but if you really want to make the best of your salvation, you must be baptized. Now, should you be baptized? 
Yeah, if you're a believer, you're supposed to obey in that one area. Uh, if you were to die before you got baptized, would you not go to heaven? Of course you would. Of course you would. Okay? There are brothers and sisters who, well, and again, I, I'll use the term not knowing. We'll let, leave that one up to God. But there are churches that teach, if you're not baptized, you're not saved. I was so glad to hear pastors say, this water doesn't wash away sin. This is a picture of what's already happened if they've trusted the Lord. You died with Christ. You were buried with Christ. You're raised again to walk in newness of life uh, with Christ. So uh, that would be the similarity. And Paul marveled, and and he went on to say, look, if, if I or an angel or anyone else comes along and preaches another gospel, let him be anathema. In case that doesn't make any sense, because we have Anathema Christian Academy. No, it's Maranatha Christian Academy. Uh, (laughs) uh, Anathema basically means let them be condemned without any hope of salvation. I don't know about you, but that's kind of like, whoa, dude. Uh, When I brought my wife home to meet my family the first time we were engaged, hadn't been married yet. Um, When we got there, my sister said to Lynn, Wow, you know, since he's known you, he's really mellowed out. The last time he was here, he was sending us all to hell. And, of course, I wasn't doing that. I was preaching the gospel, saying, you know, here's your choices. And, uh, but that's how they took it. Well, Paul's actually saying that. If you're going to preach another gospel, let that person be condemned without any chance of salvation. Whoa. And then in verse 10, he's saying, look, the gospel that I preach, am I preaching to please men? Well, if I am, then I'm not a bondservant of Christ. Uh, that's his point there. In, uh, let me see, here we are. 1 Corinthians uh, 9, 19 to 22. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all. This is the attitude that Paul's trying to get across in Romans 14 and 15. Uh, that I might win the more. And to the Jews, I became as a Jew. Now, Paul was a Jew. What does he mean? He became as a Jew. He lived like they would expect a Jew to live. He goes on to say that I might win Jews to those who are under the law as under the law, that I might win those that are under the law, to those that are without law as without law. Now, the first group is probably going to be Jewish proselytes. The second group is going to be just good old-fashioned Gentiles. And uh, as those not under the law, that I might win those that are uh, not under the law. Is that how he says under the law? To those that are without law as without law, not being without law toward God. In other words, he still lived in a righteous way, but he wasn't concentrating on the uh, ceremonial uh, stuff. But under law towards Christ, that I might win those that are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all, uh, all means save some. So that's the idea of dealing with the scruples of the weak. We're not doing it to please other people. We're doing it to win them, help them along, that they might grow, that they might become complete in Christ. Letter B. Actually, that's letter C, and I don't know my alphabet. I got A, B, B, C. Okay, the second letter B here, not pleasing ourselves in verses 1B through 2. Notice, liberty is not for oneself. You are saved, and now you are free. You have liberty. 
But for what purpose? So that you can serve him and one another in love. That's the reality of the matter, okay? So liberty is not for oneself. Notice it says, let each of us please his neighbor. Uh, Notice the let each of us. That means there are knee exemptions. I think that's supposed to be no exemptions, (laughs) okay? Uh, No one gets away from their responsibility here of concerning yourself with what is best for your neighbor. Uh, Notice the objective of uh, let each of us please his neighbor. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 24 and 33. 24 says, let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Verse 33, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. So that attitude that I just talked about, uh, Paul has all over the place here. So what is the objective? Notice it is to promote good and leading to edification. Uh, To edify means to to build them up and not tearing them down, but to build them up. Uh, And therefore, in time, as they're built up, what's going to happen? Are they going to continue to be a weaker brother? No. But you still have to worry about any other weaker brothers out there, that kind of a thing. And then, of course, uh, my second letter, C, which is actually D, uh, (laughs) being like Christ, found in verse 3 there, for even Christ did not please himself. Matthew 26, 39 says, He went a little further, fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Now, I don't know about you, but he, he says in another place, you know, don't you realize I could call 10,000 angels right now, <laughs> take care of this whole thing, but he wasn't there to do what you and I might have done. He is there to please the Father, and in so doing, save mankind, or at least uh, some. Uh, John chapter 5, verse 30, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Chapter 6, verse 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And again, for even Christ did not please himself. He's our example. We're supposed to be following that example. Or going back to 1 John chapter uh, 2, verse 6, if anyone says that they know him, they are obligated to walk as he walked. So what do we see there? We're not here to do our will, but the will of him who saved us and then sent us. Okay? So notice uh, what his person could have demanded. When we say his person, you'll notice I've capitalized the H. Uh, what Christ could have demanded in Philippians 2, uh, 6a, who being in the form of God, what could he have commanded? Yeah. Anything within the moral uh, parameters of God, he could have said, look, guys, I'm the one. Get over it. Follow me or else. Uh, but he did not do that. Notice it goes on to say what he chose to do, Philippians 2, 6b through 8. But he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, Uh, And the idea there is he didn't consider it something to be grasped where, hey, everybody, look at me, okay? But it goes on to say, 
uh, made himself of no reputation, taken the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So Christ didn't come to please himself. Uh, He could have demanded things being God, but he chose to uh, be a servant according to the will of God. Number two, top of the next page. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Paul is quoting Psalm 69.9 there, but notice the mindset change for the believer. In uh, Philippians 2 verse 5, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but normally, uh, even after salvation, our orientation is towards me. It's self-oriented. So there is the need to recognize there's a need to change the mind. And what does God do? He says, don't be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be changed by looking into the mirror of God's Word and seeing uh, the glory of Christ and being changed from glory to glory. Now, that's a a few different passages in there, but that's the idea there that uh, you're going to start recognizing life doesn't revolve around you. It really does. you're, You're supposed to take on the same mindset that Christ had. Regardless of what you may claim, you're supposed to humble yourself and become that servant. So the mindset changed for the believer, and to the extent to which the mindset goes, Second uh, Corinthians 5.21, For God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Okay, what does that have to do with the price of beans in China? For God treated Jesus the way we deserve to be treated by God. We think of the whipping, the beating, the crown of thorns, the nails, the cross. We think of that as a terrible thing because we are so oriented towards this humanity, this flesh. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here, for eternity past, he is in communion with his Father. Everything is good between them. And at that moment, God starts treating him according to what we deserve. Why? So that he could treat us the way he treats Christ, the way Christ deserves to be treated. I don't know about you, but that's like one of those, wow, (laughs) you know, that kind of a thing. Uh, So that's the extent to which the mindset goes, where when we're talking about uh, following uh, Christ's example, we're dealing with a weaker brother. We're not judging. We're helping him carry his load. Uh, for how long? As long as it takes. We treat him the way he ought to be treated, as a brother in Christ, as one that God loves. And it might take a while. Okay. That's the idea that we see here. So, of course, that brings us to our first letter, D, which should be E. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, hope in the Scriptures, verse 4. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning. 
obviously referring to the divinely revealed truths of the Old Testament, because at this time when we're writing the book of Romans, yes, there's a few epistles that are already floating around, but we don't have a quote-unquote New Testament yet. We've got a few letters, maybe a gospel or two. Um, So he obviously is referring back, though he might have included some of the stuff he's written. He's referring back to the Old Testament. Uh, That brings us to the concept of inspiration. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, why do I feel as though I need to cover this? Because I see too many videos on social media where the Bible has been written by men. Men actually chose which books were to be put in the Bible, and they chose to keep some out. What are they hiding from us? And of course, most of the people have no real clue as to what the Bible teaches about this subject and what history shows us about this subject. So in uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, this is the idea that, well, we'll we'll see the idea in a minute, but it's basically God breathed, (sighs) like creation. God spoke and it was, okay? And it's profitable for doctrine, that's going to be teaching, for reproof, that's pointing out where you're doing something wrong, for correction, here's how to do it right, for instruction of righteousness, now let's put it into practice. Okay, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. What's a good work? That which is done for the glory of the Father and the power of the Spirit. Because what did Jesus say? I can do nothing of myself. What I see and what I hear the Father doing, that's what I do. Well, we're supposed to be doing the same kind of thing. Okay, so... As we're in the Word of God, we're seeing and hearing, and then in humility, we submit ourselves to the Spirit. The Spirit empowers us to do what God wants us to do. That's a good work. But again, notice how that's directly tied to the Word of God. That's why Paul says in Colossians 3.16, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Uh, Parallel passage, be filled with the Spirit. Okay? Okay. Uh, Peter says it a little bit differently, that through these great and precious promises, God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him, that we may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption that's in the world because of the evil desires. Now I'm going to emphasize something. Where are those evil desires? It's in our hearts. Yes, we're, we're saved. We're born again. We're new people. But we still got this law of sin in us. Okay? So we need the scriptures. Uh, Notice the second verse there. Well, it's the second uh, line here, so let me uh, keep on going. The inspiration of the scripture, number two, human writers carried by the Spirit, 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. Uh, That basically means no one came up with these ideas by themselves. You know, it's kind of like, I'm Peter, I'm Paul. Well, Peter says this, Paul, no, 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 no. Okay, this is what it says. Uh, For prophecy never came by the will of man. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved, carried along by the Holy Spirit. Notice it's the same concept that I'm saying about good works. 
you're doing what God wants you to do because you've seen what he wants you to do in the scripture and you've humbled yourself and the spirit of God completes it. He carries you along so that now it is a good work. Well, that's the same thing with how we got the scripture. And therefore, it's not written by men. Now, do we have any of the original autographs, the original letters? No, no, they, they've turned to dust years ago. Uh, we have some copies that are pretty close to the originals, okay? And we have lots and lots of manuscripts. And when you start looking at what it would take to change any of that so that it was written by men, you would be absolutely amazed that, yeah, that's basically impossible, okay? Um, the Muslims like to say that man changed the Bible. And therefore, uh, it wasn't Isaac that was offered, it was Ishmael that was offered, that kind of thing. The reality is, is uh, Islam comes into effect somewhere in the 700s, and in the uh, 1900s, 1960-something, they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, and uh, within those Dead Sea Scrolls, they have a, um, a manuscript of Isaiah that dates back to approximately 100 AD, obviously a copy, okay? But it's 800 years from the original, and it reads like the copies that we had beforehand that were dated 1000 AD, which means the copying from 100 to 1000, really, really good, okay? Uh, so whole point being is uh, we have a good copy of what God wants us to know. And so when, for whatever things were written before, were written for our learning, we ought to recognize that the things that are written, that's what God wanted us to know so that we might grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Notice, they are still valuable for us. In uh, 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 10, 6 through 11. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted, and do not become idolaters as some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell, nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples that they were written for our admonition or our warning upon whom the end of the ages have come. So when, we, when we're looking at Scripture, we're seeing there are lessons there for us. Uh, let's take a look at a couple of things here. Number one, under letter B, didascalia, instruction, the function of the information, doctrine, learning, teaching. Okay, so whatever things were written were written for our learning. That's the word for learning. It means teaching, but it also means learning. It's interesting that the Greek word, as well as the Hebrew word uh, for teach or learn, are directly tied together in the sense that the teacher is supposed to teach in a way that the uh, student can learn. Isn't that interesting? Okay? And then, of course, the next word, uh, written uh, for whatever things were written uh, before, were written for our learning. Uh, the word tupos, a die, a stamp, a scar, a shape, a statue, style, or uh, resemblance, a model, um, a figure, uh, fashion, form, manner, pattern, print. 
This is the idea of a type, an example, uh, something that we can learn from. So that, like uh, 1 Corinthians said, so that we wouldn't do as they did. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read through that passage, it says, uh, it was written for your uh, learning so that you wouldn't, and it gives an example. And I go, oops, I did that. (laughs) I didn't learn from their example. If anything, I copied their example. Shame on me, okay? Uh, so that, that's the idea there. And then, of course, the last word that is there for our admonition, uh, nuthesia, calling attention to, mild rebuke or warning or admonition. Uh, when we think of admonition, I don't know about you, but it, it seems like someone's coming down on you. Uh, the reality is, is sometimes it's just a warning. You know, you really shouldn't do that because if you continue to do that, this is probably where this is going to end up. Um, have your, well, most of us are old enough that we were the parents telling our kids, but chances are our parents told us too. Um, you know, if, if you keep on doing that, your eyes are going to get stuck like that. You know, don't cross your eyes because they're going to get stuck like that. Or if you got that uh, weird uh, face uh, smile or something like that, if you keep that up, it's going to stick. Well, obviously, we recognize that's probably not going to happen that way. But how many times do, do they warn us, don't do that kind of thing? And they may not have a real good reason as to why you shouldn't. But here's the reason. Because when you keep on doing something, it becomes a habit. And then after a while, the habit becomes the master. Oh, that might be a good reason to be careful the kinds of things that you're doing. And of course, uh, the warning. Would you believe the warning? I was listening to a video, young lady, talking about her transgender surgeries where she uh, basically took on the role of being a man. And what did she learn from all of this? She learned that she wasn't a man. And that it was okay that she was a tomboy. And it didn't matter really what other people thought about her being a tomboy. The problem was is now she was on this side of things and regretted and wished she had never done it. But why'd she do it? Because she listened to everybody that was saying, you need to do that, instead of the ones that were saying, no. The reality is, is for those that struggle with gender dysphoria and follow through with the surgeries and stuff like that, uh, a large percentage of them, I, I can't think of the number right now, but a large percentage of them within a year and a half, the things that they were suffering with before, depression and things like that, within a year and a half, they're right back in that same place. But because getting the surgery didn't fix the problem. And many of them try and uh, reintegrate into what they were beforehand. And uh, it's an absolute shame that our country is going in that direction. Uh, and there's, they're not listening to the warnings. Okay? And of course, it's uh, an issue for the ones that don't. Number two, that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. So for whatever things were written before, were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. The word for patience there is hupomone, uh, cheerful or hopeful endurance. Okay? 
constancy, enduring, patience, patient continuance. Uh, I think of Romans uh, 5.3. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance, verse 4, character and character, hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Uh, James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, patience. Okay, so that uh, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, I don't know about you, but uh, when I think of patience, um, people say, "Pray for me, I need patience. Pray that I get patience." Going, no, 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 no. <laughs> Pray that you'll learn from the trials that you're going through, so that you can be patient. Um, but notice, this is the patience of the scriptures, not the patience of the person. Okay, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures. So what about the word comfort? Periclesis, imploration, hortation, uh, solace, comfort, consolation, exhortation, entreaty. I read you verse 4, Romans 5, 4, the perseverance character, character, hope. Uh, The other verse here, Hebrews 12, 5, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons, my son, Do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. Imagine if you're young, uh, you're going through trials, and of course, when we're young and going through trials, oh God, please give me patience. No, don't do that. But you start recognizing that these trials have a purpose. They are to uh, show you what's in your heart so that you might call upon God and submit yourself to the changes that are necessary in your life. Why? Because he is, at that moment, chastising you. He is training you. He's uh, disciplining you. That's what the concept of chastisement means. Most of the time we look at chastisement as we're getting a spanking. No, it is discipline. It is training so, Lord, what are you trying to teach me through these trials? Now, again, here we're talking about the comfort of the Scriptures because as we're going through those trials, the idea is we're going to be looking into the mirror again and we're going to be seeing where we're falling short. This is what Christ looks like. This is what I'm doing. Oh, they're different. And God, through his comforter, the Holy Spirit, enlightening my eyes to truth, allows me to submit myself to what it says instead of, I don't know about you, but some of us are a little bit hard-headed and we go through the same trials over and over and over again. And we always think about God as being out there going to smack us upside the head. How many times have you been smacked up by the head? I don't know about you, but God was patient and his scriptures are always saying the same thing just because I wasn't listening. They, they were there to comfort uh, and there were times when I would get up in the middle of the night and I'd go to the Psalms and uh, who can stand before God? No one. Okay, so obviously I'm not standing right now, but I'm in good company. <laughs> okay, and at that point, knowing that, okay, he knows my frame, that I'm dust then I can go to him and be looking to him for mercy. Again, comfort of the scriptures. And then it goes on to say uh, that through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, we might have 
hope. Uh, the word for hope there is elpis, expectation, confidence, faith, hope, or like I explained this morning, the idea of believing what God has said will happen yet in the future. It's still faith, but it's looking at something that God says is going to happen in the future, saying, man, just can't wait for that to happen, that kind of a thing. So uh, a few verses here. Again, we've looked at uh, Romans 4, uh, 5, 4, and 5, perseverance, character, character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Uh, Romans fifteen thirteen. Our scripture memory for this past week. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Galatians 5.5, 5, For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Once again, that idea that, you know, someday I'm going to see Jesus. I'm going to see him as he is, and I'm going to be just like him. Oh, I look forward to that day because this corrupted it's going to put on incorruptibility. This mortal puts on immortality. And we can look forward to it with confidence, with hope. Okay? Letter E, dependence on God's power, verse 5. Now may the God of patience and comfort. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Didn't we just see that a minute ago? That we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, well, why wouldn't it be the Scriptures uh, that have patience and comfort in it if the one who wrote it didn't have those same things. So now may the God of patience and comfort notice what God expects from us. He provides for us. Let's go back to that good work for a minute. What does God want from us? Good works. We've been saved for good works. That's what God expects. What does God provide? Everything is necessary to perform a good work. Isn't that interesting? Okay. Notice he sovereignly brings trials into one's life to develop patience. Again, James 1, 2, and 3, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. I remember one time when I was teaching from James, I said, every trial that comes into your life, God's trying to teach you something, trying to teach you something about yourself, about mankind in general, about him, and uh, one of my colleagues at the time said, you can't know everything there is to know about God. I didn't say that. I just said that God uses trials to teach us about him. Here's, here's one of the things I learned by going through trials. Because again, remember in James chapter 1, a trial serves a purpose. And if you're God-focused, you're going to be looking to God for wisdom. And you're going to get through it and be approved. You're going to receive the crown of life. If you're self-focused, the trial becomes a temptation. Not that God is tempting you. You're drawn away because of your own lust and enticed, right? Now, here's one of the things I learned through trials. God is merciful. He let me do that same stupid thing over and over and over again and never did hit me with the two-by-four. Spirit of God was quick to let me know. Yeah, you blew it again, you ding-dong. Now, he didn't say ding-dong. That's my words, okay? Uh, but the reality is we did learn something about God by going through all those things, okay? And so uh, God sovereignly brings uh, trials into one's life to develop endurance, 
to develop understanding. Letter C, he gives comfort in the midst of trials so that we can give comfort to others. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our tribulations, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any tribulation with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Wow. (laughs) For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation or for your comfort and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. So he's saying, I'm going through this issue. Why? So that I can comfort you because ultimately you're going to be going through this thing too. Okay? Uh, Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. So uh, he comforts in the midst of our trials so that we can comfort others. Number two, now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus. Notice this is Paul's prayer for them, uh, and it's a prayer that God would grant. Why? Because it is God's will. Okay? As with patience and comfort, what God expects, he provides. Paul's call here is to be of the same mind in areas of Christian liberty, to be loving, not judgmental, and to be considerate of the weaker brother. Again, to help them carry the load, not just to look down upon them because, well, you know, someday you're going to be mature like me, that kind of thing. And that brings us to uh, letter F, glorifying God with one accord, verse 6. Uh, Let me just read verse 5 and 6 again. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth, with nothing that causes divisiveness between the members. Okay? One mind, we're going to understand. Sure, there are things we might disagree on. My job is to be careful of my weaker brother and not to be judgmental or contempt, have contempt towards uh, someone that has that different uh, mindset. And then, of course, with one mouth. The word mouth here is stoma, mouth, language. Okay, very often when we think of mouth, we're thinking of the uh, actual pie hole, if you will, and it also can mean language. Uh, in the verse uh, in my Bible here, it says, uh, so that you may glorify God our Father uh, with a united mind and voice. So the idea is because there's nothing being done that's going to cause divisiveness, we're being considerate of one another, not judging one another, we're going to be praising the Lord for those people that could have been an irritation. We're going to be glorifying God. Notice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me bring you back to John 17, verses 21 through 23. Again, is unity important among the brethren? Uh, Verse 21 says that they all may be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us. 
that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them, you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, or complete in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Uh, Jesus talks about loving one another, and that's the way the world is going to know that we belong to him. Uh, Several years back, and this was several years back, uh, a lot of things have changed at Edgemont Bible Church over the years. Um, we've, We've all done a little bit of growing, okay? Um, some people became impatient with us and might have left because they could see some of the problems, but obviously God was not going to finish the work that he promised to finish. And in their immaturity, they may have left not knowing that, hey, God's going to do it. But I remember years ago, there was someone here, and a single young man came to our church for a little while, And at that time, we were really trying to emphasize the concept of a family church. And he sat down with pastor after a few weeks of being here and said, you know, you guys talk about being a family church. Some of your families don't even like one another. He wasn't lying. (laughs) Okay. Uh, We've had our issues in the past. As I said, this was several years ago. Uh, The reality is, as a church, we have grown up a lot. A lot of people have complained over the years that uh, we're cliquish. I do think that in times past, no one was intending to keep someone out of a group, but we got so wrapped up in the people that we knew that we kind of didn't notice the people that were new and looking for a place to fit. Uh, Have we seen that change? Oh, yeah. Uh, it started with a few people. Uh, George Langston, anytime someone new came in, he was always shaking their hand, and then he'd bring them over to about five different people and introduce them. Uh, now, many of our people, they see someone new, and they go and meet them, introduce themselves. Uh, I think Pastor said recently that someone came, and he went over to introduce himself, and Okay, we've already had like five or six people come up to us. Thank you very much. It's kind of like we don't need to meet anybody else. Oh, but uh, so we've seen where we've grown. But as I pointed out last week, this particular area, it's where we see most of the conflicts between believers. What Paul is calling us to do is love one another sufficiently enough that we can be careful that we're not causing someone else to stumble in an area of liberty. Uh, It doesn't mean you can't have the liberty, but you're careful. Why? Because we are one body, and we don't want to be destroying that cell of the body so that this cell can feel good about itself, that kind of thing. Okay, any questions or thoughts? Excellent. Well, let's close in prayer, and uh, Lord willing, we'll see you Wednesday. Okay, let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you have been patient. You have been loving, kind, merciful. You have given us comfort many times when we have fallen flat on our faces. So as we deal with one another, we thank you, Lord, that you have already put within us the capacity 
through the new man, through the power of the Spirit, to be loving, to look forward to know that someday we're all going to be glorified. We're all going to be in the same level, if you will, uh, in our spiritual maturity. But in the meantime, that we might do that which is best for one another, having the same mind and glorifying you with the same voice, Father, that the world might be able to look in and see that you sent Jesus and you have made a difference in us. Thank you again for all that you're doing. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.